and everybody has it back again. Don't take no mess at the rose garden. Jesus, they're on fire. They're what we desire. The men in black can handle it. Other teams can scrapple it. How they win that game today? There's just one thing you can say. How does Scotty shoot that three? Believe it, it ain't easy. How did Brian jump so sweet? Believe it, it ain't easy. It's the flying dot that's in your lap. I'm so interested, just big picture, in the way that the Timberwolves organization is going. The last episode of the podcast that I did a week ago, right before the Blazers played the Nuggets, was with Adam Mares, and we were talking a little bit about how organizationally and front office-wise things have changed over there, you know, culturally and also just philosophically with, you know, team-building stuff since they, you know, Tim Connolly left and they replaced him with Calvin Booth, who had been in the organization for a while. We're, you're, you're kind of on the other side of that with Tim Connolly getting a ton of money and equity and, like, that was a whole thing and taking over as, front, as the front office. And that was, like, a big splash that A-Rod and Mark Laurie and the, the, the new ownership group was making. And obviously he made a huge mark, but like, a month after taking the job when he, you know, pushed all his chips in for the Rudy Gobert trade. What have you, and you, you've covered the team for a few years, so you were there for, you know, the old regime and, like, the last part of, like, the Tibbs years and then, you know, Gerson Rosas coming in and that falling apart yep. for whatever reason it fell apart for and then Tim Connolly coming in. Like, what have you noticed about, in the short time that you've had him, you've covered him and you've gotten to know him a little bit, just the philosophy that he has about, you know, team building, kind of the way that he wants to do things versus some of the older regimes that you've covered? Yeah, it's interesting um, to kind of pin a, a philosophy like like with Roses. The, the the philosophy was was pretty clear. It was like, look, we're going to shoot a lot of threes, and we're going to run, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. And we're going to build around Carl, and we're going to get D'Lo, and we're going to build around that. Like that was the philosophy from the moment Roses took the job. With with Connolly, you know, he he gets Gobert. You know, try basically. I think the if I had to kind of pinpoint an overarching philosophy, it was to just build on the foundation that was here. And Gobert was supposed to be the guy that kind of filled a lot of the gaps of what was missing from this team a season ago. It wasn't like trying to come in and re- reinvent the culture or the, or the team in Minnesota from the ground, which is what Roses was trying to do after mm-hmm. the Tibbs years. It, Connolly, I think, is just trying to find the right talent to complement the rest of this roster, try to find a way to develop Ant into the next superstar and go from there and see what you got from there. Um, I, I've always thought it was a little bit ironic that, that Connolly you know, makes his name in Denver and builds such a, a great team and organization there off the back of some great drafting uh-huh. and he comes into Minnesota. And like you said, within about a month of the job, he's traded how many first round picks, like it's like five or six, uh, especially if you count the guys that were already drafted. Um, so I, I always thought it was kind of ironic that, you know, he, he built Denver up through the draft, but now here in Minnesota, it's like, all right, we're ready to push in now. And we're going to mortgage a lot of draft capital to do so. So, 
I think I, I don't know that there's like I said one overarch a bunch of overarching flops. I do know that he is very high on just high character guys and and having you know good people in the locker room. That seems to be a theme um, with him throughout his throughout his career and something that he's preached here in Minnesota. Um, so if a guy is a bad fit from a personality standpoint with the organization or the locker room, you know they're probably not long for Minnesota um, or for or for the team that he's working for. So I think that's probably maybe one of the tent poles I would say that, that, that exists. So do you think the decision to trade for Gobert was that out of like a, we want to play this way and we think that Gobert can uh, can you know do that or was it really just a whether it was him wanting to make a splash when he first took the job or a Rod wanting to make a splash with his first new, you know, GM hire. And it was just, this is the most, this is the best player that we could get in a trade. Like we, this is a big name, you know, we want to bring him in and we'll figure out the fit part later. We just want to bring in a lot of talent because Portland has kind of gone through not nearly to this degree because they didn't trade a million draft picks for like a three-time defensive player of the year, like Minnesota did. But with the front office changes that have taken place here over the past year or so, Joe Cronin's whole thing has been, we just want to get as much talent in the door as possible, and then we'll figure out how all the pieces fit and balance the roster out later. And that's why you, you know, you've seen kind of, they don't really have a lot of front court depth right now. They don't really have a lot of rim protection, but they've brought in just talented players, whether it's like Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, Justice Winslow, taking Shaden Sharp in the draft. And they're just kind of looking at it and seeing what they have while also still trying to be a playoff team and then making adjustments on the fly. So with, Tim Connolly trading for Gobert, was it just, this is the best player that we can get, let's get him and figure out how it fits later, or was it really just more from a standpoint of, we think he can fit well with Towns and Edwards for these reasons, and, you know, this is, uh, you know, this is this is why we're going to do this? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of that to, to the move, because, you know, they did talk in the wake of the move about, hey, look, anytime a, a top 25 player in the NBA is available, and you know you think that they can fit with your roster <laughs> like you gotta you gotta go for it you gotta push the chips in so i do think that there was an element of we have a chance to acquire a top level player something that doesn't always happen in minnesota you know that right. you have to take that into account as well like free agents aren't coming here on their own accord jimmy butler's um, the last one and that was because right. he and tibbs had a relationship from chicago correct yeah, and that was done via trade as well. You know, not not right. in pre agency or anything like that. So it doesn't happen often when you're in Minnesota. Um, top twenty five player becomes available, and I, I feel like what what you described going on in Portland is is very much like how the NBA just is in general. It's like let's get as many talented players on the floor as we can, and just figure out later how it's going to fit. But let's first and foremost get the talent in the door get that high level talent on the floor and we'll figure it out as we go along and maybe there was an element of that here in minnesota i you know obviously they had a lot of discussions about whether or not they should make this move and analyzing the fit and if it was really if they thought it was gonna be that disastrous of a fit they probably obviously wouldn't made wouldn't have made the deal um so there was always an element with carl of man, if if we can just get a, a rim protecting big to to play alongside Carl, how great would that be? That that was something that that, that this team had articulated before making the Gobert trade, and Gobert becomes available, and it's like, well, why don't we just go out and get the best rim protecting big in 
this generation of basketball. <laughs> right. Um, so <laughs> that was that was he his his becoming available did coincide with something that they had always wondered and wanted for Towns was a, a second person who could really help on the defensive end of the floor. Um, it's just trying to make it all work. That is the that is the problem. How on board was Towns with the move? I mean, I from everything I've heard, and you would obviously know about these dynamics better than I would because you cover the team every day, but I have heard that he is not a guy, Carl, that is really involved in personnel decisions and is really like pushing behind the scenes like, oh, you got to get this guy, you got to get that guy. I know that trading for D'Angelo Russell was in part because those two are close and that was something that they wanted to do to make him happy. But in general, I've kind of heard that he's not a guy that's always like really like putting, giving his input on personnel moves. And so did they like, did they go to him before they made the trade? Especially, you know, you're a new GM coming and you don't have a longstanding relationship with the guy that's like your franchise player. Did they go to him and say, Hey, we're thinking about doing this. What do you think? Or did they just make the trade and then say, you know, we'll worry about how Carl feels about it later. Or, and then also just like, how did he feel about it when it happened based on what you know? I mean, the, the, it was out there for you know a, a while. The rumor mill was that you know at least for maybe a week or so beforehand that this was something that they were considering, um, you know, and maybe even longer than that. So I, I, I don't know to what level they had in depth conversations with with Carl before the move, but I I'm not sure it was you know surprised and and just you know kind of sprung on him. He did he he made the joke uh, after the trade that. Or maybe it wasn't a joke, but that, that when he when somebody texted him and said we got Rudy or something like that, he thought they meant Rudy Gay. Um, Would have cost a that, whole lot that, less. And that, to get him than... and that, and that <laughs> He's not even playing for Utah yeah. at this point, <laughs> right? <laughs> so there there was that moment. So, but but it's it's not to say like he he didn't. It came out of completely out of left field for him. It, it did. Um, but yeah, I. Carl has often said that we've asked him, you know, throughout the years about that subject about, you know, do you want to be involved? He's like, I don't want to, he said he didn't really want to be involved uh, with, you know, personnel decisions and trades, things like that. So it fits, it kind of fits with what he said publicly over the years. And, you know, obviously if there was any opposition or, or hesitancy, it wasn't like vehement, opposition like yeah you can't do this or else i'm gonna walk yeah you know right he's here he's here so if i think there was there was probably you know natural and gobert admitted that he had to take a day or you know to, to kind of think about it and think it through and can this make can can i make this work can we make this work together and he ultimately came around to it to the decision that that he could and you know i i'm, I'm sure carl went through a, a similar process how has Rudy been as a locker room presence? Because those are those are two very, very different, really three very different locker room personalities are your three main guys with Cat and Edwards and Gobert. Those are three guys who are not really just, you know, I haven't been around any of them a ton, but just very, very, very different personalities. Like on the interpersonal side off the court, how has that all been meshing so far? Yeah, it seems to be it seems to be going okay. Um, Rudy on the floor, when you watch him on a nightly basis, um He's he seems to be very demanding on the defensive end of the floor, which I think is quite frankly something that this team could use. It mm -hmm. could use a, a voice on the floor, and he certainly has the cachet with all of his defensive player of the year awards to 
to really say stuff on that end of the floor. But you are coming into a new group. You still have to earn the trust of that new group um, and that you can get it done, that that what you say will work. Um, and yeah, that, that your teammates can ultimately trust you. I think there were some, some issues on the offensive end early in the season because Rudy had some issues just catching the ball. Um, and guys trying to figure out where best to hit them with passes and things like that. Um, so I think that there were some some issues. D'Lo had a crack earlier in the year of you know if he if he catches the ball he'll score, um, you know. And, and Rudy kind of answered it very well, where it was like, look, I have to have I have to get him to trust me. Like that's on me to to get D'Lo to trust me, and I will, and I'll work at it, and we'll talk it through. And and since then it's been better. Um, so maybe they did talk through some issues. So I think it's, I think he's been a, a good addition. He provides some leadership and accountability, um, especially on the defensive end of the floor that was not always present with, with this young group of, of, of uh, kind of guys who are trying to be high level players.